Welcome back to the Westies podcast. This is your girl Lena, and I have you. I have you today with me, my co-host Furkan. Hey, what's everyone? How's it going? And we are actually super excited for today's episode because, um, as most of you know, that December is actually um, actually has the day um, International Day for People with Disability, and we're here with Sarah Yolchu to talk about disability, I guess specifically in Western Sydney and just her experiences in general. Hello, how's it going? In fact, I did not know that December had that day at all. I am not doing well. Eye opening. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, yes, I'm revealing my self-awareness. <laughs> no, but um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, and so I guess like maybe you want to do a bit of an introduction for yourself. For sure, yeah. So my name is Sarah. I am 23 years old. Uh, I'm studying social work. Um, I live in Western Sydney. I live with my mum and two brothers and uh, and my mum and dad. And I am a female living with autism in Sydney. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's super, super relevant, I think, just to start off and dive headfirst into our very first question. Sarah, how do you define disability? Good question, good question. Well, personally, I define, I think, like, disability can be quite broad, right, because it's basically anything that can have somewhat of a significant impact on your life, even as something as having, like, being in, like, a cast for a broken leg for about six weeks. So that is technically defined as a disability. Um, and it can encompass a lot of things. Like, disability, I'd argue, is one of the most diverse, like, uh, groups you can ever think of. Um, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's gender, wh- whether it's whatever it is, it can be something that mentally impacts you, physically impacts you, intellectually impacts you, emotionally and all other aspects. Um, and I think also, like, nobody's immune from disability as well. Like, you can, you know, God forbid, wake up tomorrow from a condition and, like, have this lifelong issue for the rest of your life. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how I would define it personally. So some people are born with certain mm-hmm. disabilities. Like in my case, it's a neurological disability. I was born with it. Um, but in other cases, some people might have traumatic brain injuries that renders them like um, with a disability for the rest of their lives. So that experience can also be quite diverse, but that's how I personally define it. But it's quite a broad um, kind of subject um, and how you make it specific probably sometimes depends on culture, sometimes depends on legislation. So that's how you determine benefits and um, things like parking mobility um, stickers and that sort of thing. So, yeah. I think it's really interesting when you were talking about that definition, though, how you mentioned all the physical stuff, but also how you said that mental health can also be classified as a disability because that's something that I guess even up to recently I wasn't really aware of, that if you're let's say, diagnosed with like depression or anxiety, that could also be classified as a disability. Yeah, and I think that's also something recently the NDIS has adopted. So the NDIS was a bit, depending on how you look at it, it can, some aspects of the role, it was pretty good, but then some aspects were also pretty um, badly done, for lack of a better word. I think um, because, yeah, something like depression can really badly impact your life, but obviously if it's not visible or immediately, like, yeah, immediately obvious, then, like, a lot of organisations don't necessarily acknowledge it as such. And even though to that person, that's a really, really intangible thing. 
Um, and even going back to myself, like people see me, I, I look physically fine. Uh, I talk like I'm objectively well-spoken. Um, I'm doing a university level degree and I'm also up for doing some post-grad studies, but you know, like having a disability, it can more or so more often or not, uh, be a little bit dis, uh, disregarded almost in my experience that, which can be kind of hard when I face certain challenges. So I think it kind of depends on how you look at it, but I think only recently, um, that started to be like a topic of conversation. Yeah, um, for, I think, yeah. I think if we rewind it a little bit, um, you've said that you've been diagnosed with autism and I guess just for the wider audience, like what's your definition and understanding of what is autism or how would you explain it to someone who has no clue about it? Yeah, for sure. Everyone, I think, just to keep in mind when I define it, everybody has their own idea around it um, because it's such like a broad, uh, a broad, how do I say, like a broad uh, disability, if that makes sense. So there can be one aspect that it impacts certain people, but then there's another aspect that doesn't affect certain people. And there's still a lot of research around this, so I could be saying something and tomorrow it's going to be completely disregarded. Um, but basically, autism is a neurological disability. Um, uh, basically, it's just certain neurons in your mind. They're more, my understanding chemically is that it's more inflamed than others, basically. <laughs> There's some psychiatrist that's going to listen to this and think I'm the biggest idiot. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably, hey. Um, but... Um, from like a DSM perspective for the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, there's three levels. So there's level one, technically I'd be considered level one. So that's that considered, you know, high functioning autism that used to be considered Asperger's, but not anymore. Um, so that basically just means that like uh, your cognitive functioning's quite fine, but, um, but basically what's, uh, what constitutes a diagnosis would be like your social cues, uh, sensory processing issues, um, things around even uh, um, uh, low muscle tone, like poor, I don't know how to, I mean, you're the physio in this, but you know when people have poor proprioception, like they can't, yes, they're not very good yes. with coordinating their bodies. Mm -hmm. That's a really, really common trait. Uh, issues around eating can be a common issue. And then there's level two, like so more mild cases of autism. And then on the more extreme end, which is level three, um, it would, it, some people might not, uh, might not be verbal. Some people might have really severe, like, uh, behavioral issues. Um, you know, I think it just kind of, uh, like depends on how it manifests within itself. So in my case, it's genetic. So my two brothers also have autism. Um, so <laughs> one big happy family. Um, <laughs> no, no, I like to make jokes about it, but it's fine. But I, I think it's like, uh, interesting because basically like, all of us come with different levels of it kind of things. So it's quite a, like a unique experience. Like I don't really know many people that or anybody who has a similar experience to that. Um, so yeah, but like autism spectrum disorder is on a spectrum. So different things can affect different people. So yeah, mm. it just depends on where you fall. Some people would say it's like, it should be a more individualized model. So rather than a long line, that's a spectrum that encapsulates where each person's level is at. Some people would argue that's a deficit-based model. So some people would rather like a individualized, I think an individualized model that really emphasizes that person's strengths and what that comes with and some of that person's challenges rather than a spectrum because mm. it implies that a person who's higher functioning adds more value than a person that doesn't have that higher like order functioning, if that makes sense. Okay, that was super interesting. I actually didn't know a lot of this that stuff about um, autism at like the especially like the levels and stuff. I actually had no idea about that. 
yeah the levels are more usually used for funding and like legislation based like ah. it's yeah so for example the njis if you're a level three your funding is going to look different from like a level one because the idea that they're, they're purely basing that on your function and your everyday um baseline and whatever but like and even like uh parking stickers so i wouldn't be eligible for one my brother wouldn't be eligible for one but my middle brother who has the most severe autism he's eligible one for one because of his sorry because of his absconding tendencies oh yeah wow okay so i didn't know that i guess you learned something new every day and yeah. um <laughs> and i think i just wonder in terms of um so you know, that we are looking at this from a Western Sydney perspective. Hmm. Just do you think that across Western Sydney, I mean, because you are from Western Sydney yourself, you've hmm. gone to school in Western Sydney. Um, I mean, your university is all the way up in North Sydney, but it is not. She's fake. Oh, wait. Sure, you are not. He's in North He <laughs> was in North Sydney. Never mind. You're in Strathfield. Exposed. I'm an idiot. Fake news, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I am an idiot. I apologize. It's okay. I, I, I forgive her. It's all good, guys. But I guess, um, do you see, do you feel like people in Western Sydney have an understanding of disability? And I ask this particularly because of how multiculturally diverse, I think that's a sentence, how multiculturally diverse Western Sydney is. Do you think there is an understanding of disability or even, I guess, um, an acceptance of it from what you've perhaps experienced or seen? That is a great question. Um, I think it depends on how you look at it, right? So with the recent, so basically, uh, if we look at it from, let's say, before the NDIS, definitely not. Like most of the therapies that we had to get, we had to go all the way to the Macquarie. And this was back in the day where there was literally no such thing as an NDIS. It was like you had to sell an arm and a leg to get like a bit of ABA therapy, which I don't personally agree with ABA as a concept, but that's not, this is not the medium to discuss that. But that's no, just no, an no, example. Hold up, hold up, hold up. People oh. that don't know, what is ABA? That's a good point. So it's basically like, what was the, what, can't you remember the, what the acronym is? <laughs> if I had to be honest, I've got no clue. Wait, hold on, I'm going to do a Can cheeky little. No, I just need to double check before I say the wrong thing. I know what it is, guys, don't worry. I just need to double check to make sure. It's like something behavioral. Applied behavioral analysis. There we go. Um, but basically, um, the idea is that, um, so most would argue, it depends on who you ask, most prominent psychologists in this area um, uh, say it's a deficit-based um, model um, of teaching kids how to do, autistic children, how to perform certain tasks. And the idea is that we have to completely rewire their behaviour to get them to um, behave the way we want them to behave. So if you're wanting them to get dressed rather than working directly with the child to understand why, where the challenges might lie, why they don't like doing certain tasks and how we can support that, it's like this is your reward. Like let's say it's a candy bar. We're not going to give this to you until you get dressed. You, I need you to look me in the eye as well. Eye contact is also really reinforcing but, um, uh, therapy like that. And if you're on the spectrum, eye contact is like having your soul sucked out of your body. Like it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> Um, and they've actually been in a couple of high-functioning autistics that have come out um, of that experience and said basically that's incredibly abusive to how I feel about my autism. Um, it was incredibly restrictive. It stressed me out a lot. Like, um, and it was, yeah, so um, so most people say it's a deficit-based model. 
um, and there are new there is new studies and new um, research and new techniques that are coming out every day um, to better support people with autism and living better lives and learning how to do those day day to day skills without having to you know um, basically recreate a Pavlovian experiment. <laughs> and so, so you said that um, prior to like maybe a couple of years back, I don't know how further back because I'm not very vo- well versed in like the NDIS history, but you said that um, you like you would have to like travel all the way out to Macquarie just to sort of like attain any sort of um, assistance. So what do you reckon like that's happened? Like how's that changed in Western Sydney? Has, has a demographic sort of accepted it? Or? So from like a research and like therapy point of view, Macquarie was like Macquarie University specifically was like the main university doing that stuff with re- uh, neuropsychology and things like that, which is why we had to end up going there all the time which was absolutely awful, especially in peak hour, especially it's after school and you just want to sleep. But um, I think with the rollout of the NDIS, it has its positives and has its negatives for certain reasons. It's quite interesting from a social work perspective. Uh, From like a, if you're looking at objectively, like, okay, so the idea of the NDIS is that we're going to get more service providers out there to support more people with disability and we're going to give that money to the private sector. That's basically the idea. So that funding body will go to private companies that open up as an NGIS registered business, um, which is great because it makes it more accessible to people. So back in the day, the closest service provider was Macquarie. And if you were lucky to get the funding, we had to go to Northcott, which is like a place in North Parramatta from memory. And that's considered one of the largest disability providers and they've been around for ages. But now with the rollout of the NGIS, you actually have way more service providers and way more options. So back in the day, if you had a service provider, even if it was in bloody Macquarie or Penrith, you stuck with it because they didn't have enough funding to go around. Now there's more funding so you can access like specialised services in a certain area. If you wanted to get, I don't know, a therapist in Switzerland, you could do that. And the NDIS would like basically subsidise that. But then I guess the counter um, issue that I've recently discovered, particularly in Western Sydney as well, is you're getting a lot of people who basically have no idea about the disability sector. I've never worked in it. Like my dad was telling me, he was like, yeah, there's like a guy that owned a kebab shop for 20 years and now suddenly he's opening an NGIS registered business. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Hey, you know, kebabs can be pretty therapeutic though. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. If I was in a wheelchair, that. Um, but the thing is, is that like, it's kind of like, like people have kind of found like um, uh, holes in this system to be able to kind of exploit it and exploit um, people within um, this rollout. Um, which can be a huge problem if you have no idea what your rights are. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, you actually have more service providers, especially like that are more culturally responsive as well. Like there's one, I won't say their name just because like, just in case, but like. You got an area? Pardon? You got an area where like. Where? It's like in Auburn. Auburn. And it was okay. one of the first NGIS registered businesses that actually opened up in the area. And originally, if you know, you live in Auburn, you probably know where this is. Um, and they were originally like a psychology, uh, they were basically just a bunch of psychologists who had an office and worked out of there. And then they broadened it to be an NDIS registered service. So now they have all these service provisions and they're like, most of them are Turkish as well. So they're Turkish psychologists. Most of the workers are Turkish. A lot of the people with disabilities are Turkish or culturally and linguistically um, diverse. Like my mum goes for breakfast there every like Thursday morning, like it's great. And, and everyone's like a 
like uh like little turkish women who like have complex like uh issues but then at the same time like um an interesting kind of issue that's come up is like lateral violence between people with disabilities um what do you mean by that so lateral, it's a very complex thing um but basically it's kind of like when you experience some sort of like violence or vilification externally that can often get internalized to the point where you're kind of at a point where you're self-hating. So it's, if you think about it, it happens a lot racially, if that makes sense. Whereas like, well, I'm not like that brown person because that brown person is like that. Or I'm not like that wog because that ethnic person is like, um, it can't even speak English properly, whereas I can and this and that, um, if that makes sense. If it's not mm. a good example, I can change it. Yeah, yeah. But um, so then when it comes to um, like, uh, people with disabilities that can increase often twofold as well um so there can be issues around ableism and well your child's like an idiot <laughs> and this is why like i'm 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 not laughing at the situation it's just it's it's funny how these situations can kind of end up for people yet that same person is also experiencing that complex disability because they've been bullied all their lives or because like they were violated in one way or another. And a lot of these people experience abuse themselves, which is why they end up projecting it on up to other people without even meaning to. Um, but that's been, and especially when they come from culturally like, and linguistically diverse backgrounds in Western Sydney, where they commonly experience that alienation, they just think that's the norm now. So the idea is that if you mask your disability as much as possible and make people perceive you to be normal and the better disabled person, and the more normalised one and the better accepted one in the community, then that's, like, the end goal of that. I'm going to actually jump in there and just sort of give my, um, I think, own perspective on that because I actually agree with Sarah. There's, like, definitely a, um, I think, sort of a culture in Western Sydney which is due to the fact that we're so culturally and linguistically diverse um, that... um, we do have this vilification of people who may be more so outwardly, like they, they, you know, may visibly be disabled or if they have an invisible disability, they may actually like you know, present their symptoms and they don't like mask it as well. There is definitely a, um, I guess, an ongoing thing where it's like the more normal, and again, this is in quotation marks, more normal you can be or the more normal you can be. Or like the more be. typical as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um um yeah and so I guess yeah I think like how typical you can be and because I've got borderline personality disorder right and it's something that's only really coming to like show I mean I haven't really been diagnosed for the past six months but um when you look at like my history (laughs) uh, and I think Sarah and Furkan are actually pretty um well versed in my history um it kind of shows that points at where I was able to pass off really well as someone who didn't have a disability I was rewarded um you know by by people who are in our communities um religious and cultural communities um and then when you present symptoms that are you know just they are they're a reality of my disability um they are treated as you know there is something that's wrong with you we need to kind of hide you away what are you doing other people are watching and it's you know it's it's interesting um, you said that because that vilification, as you said, becomes internalized. And so then therefore we have like this um, domino effect where because culturally and linguistically diverse communities 
um, may not have the resources to understand disability that well, they have their own cultural, I guess, stigmas attached to it, mm. um, it kind of just spreads and we have this like continuing vilification of individuals with disability. Mm. But yeah, that's, that is really interesting. Um, well, I guess and- what I wanted to talk about next was, as in you've talked about that you've had this kind of service that's available in Auburn, but what else is available around Western Sydney? Like I've talked to, like me being a, a physiotherapist, I've talked to um, some service providers where they may be like a support worker for a disabled person, but these people are all up um, towards the North Shore or something like that. I was just wondering if those services are also available here in Western Sydney. Yeah, good question. Um, it's so there's so there are services like I mentioned that one service provider in Western Sydney with the predominantly Turkish community. Um, but let's say even if you're thinking of that place or any other place, most of the places in Western Sydney basically have like a, a very long waiting list. If you're looking to get occupational therapy in the area um, or having someone who's close enough to come to you. Um, because people keep in mind, like, let's say if you're receiving home-based therapy, that amount, the amount that that therapist has to travel, um, including petrol, car wear and tear, all that stuff that comes out of your NDIS plan. So that eats into the potential therapy you could be getting, um, especially if they're coming from someone from North Sydney, like that's basically like, that can easily be like a quarter of your plan, if that makes sense. If you're getting hypothetically weekly or even fortnightly. Um, because when they formulate an NDIS plan, they don't like take into that account. They'll just like say, okay, so this support letter from your doctor says you're eligible for 20 hours. Cause that's how they'll calculate it. We're going to give you 20 hours. So they're not going to take into account people having to travel to come down to see you. Um, a lot of, so like, uh, there's not really much around, especially in like the Western Sydney area. And that's like a really big hole in the market at the moment, because then the other thing is that you are the best bet was often Parramatta. And if you're going in peak hour where <laughs> some of the bigger high schools are there, people are in Westfield, people come from their office jobs, like that's just not feasible for like a mother with three kids with like complex, a complex neurological disabilities um, who all bloody hate noise. <laughs> like that just like, like it's it's almost like unfair. And at the same time, what can that, that person do about that? Do you get what I mean? Like there have been some like there, and I think another thing with the NDIS is, Often, and I think I mentioned like that exam- that funny example with that guy that owned a kebab shop that suddenly opened an NDIS plant. There really is no vetting of who is opening these like businesses. It's just getting this money, just get, like essentially, like they're like audits and stuff, but certain audits don't look into certain things. So how like a service provider is charging a person is not going to be found out until that person's plan suddenly runs out and they don't entirely understand what that money was going towards. Um, and they, yeah, yeah and so, like even the NDIS plans in general like they're so complicated to understand even as like a physiotherapist I sit down and I read them and I'm like you know what I'm confused and I'm going to be providing these services yeah so then you can imagine like a even with the one of the best support coordinators you can even imagine as like a disabled person like how flawed you are about how they're so weirdly vaguely written and at the same time they're supposed to be for something specific and you're like I hate you couldn't label this like you couldn't just write physiotherapy you had to give me a whole some section like uh, some beautiful daily daily living living. you got your core support you got your (laughs) 
um, behavior management funding and then you've got your, your activities of daily living that also can be covered for the same therapies but they just want to be fancy and add more words yeah. um like it's it's written as though i'm reading a policy brief it's not written as though someone with down syndrome can understand what's going to happen afterwards do you get what i'm saying yeah, like definitely. like at the end of the day most people with these types of disabilities have lower literacy levels have poor health outcomes have poor um health literacy even so like I don't like if the idea is to make something more accessible like that's never like that's not going to happen so then let's say a, a service provider has misappropriated certain funding which does happen like it's the reality of the of all realities then like that person's not going to clearly understand what that money went to and why and what's that 100%. service provider going to do bullshit to their face like it's yeah so i think like i'm um, sorry guys i like i cuss like a truck driver <laughs> You're um, fine. Yeah, so I think, like, and there is certain issues with oversight as well, and I think from memory that's something that the Royal Commission's currently kind of looking into, but not too much, um, because it's more covering things around, like, historical abuse, employment. I don't remember if they're going to cover some parts of the NDIS, um, but, like, yeah, I think um, there definitely could be improvements around that. How that will happen, I'm not sure. So, um yeah. I had another interesting perspective that I wanted to kind of like pick with your brain, like My seeing, brain. seeing as like um, you, you've said that you're you're high functioning autism and people may look at you and they don't think that you have a disability, correct? Yeah. yeah. And I guess now you're kind of like this undercover agent where you mm. might be quote unquote normal. Like, have you seen any like like as in have you been able to I guess see any perspectives of people with disability or of like how do I say this? So what I'm saying is, like, <laughs> this is so hard to explain. Undercover yeah. job. Yeah. Get that shovel like, and dig your grave, huh? <laughs> oh my god! Wait, hold on. Let me let me get my okay. words right. So yeah. basically, like, I know that some people, if like they want to say something mean, they won't say it to your face, right? right. And then yeah. they won't say something bad about a disabled person to a disabled person's face. That's right? true. Yeah. So I guess what I'm asking is, as like a quote unquote someone who doesn't look disabled looks able-bodied and everything have you seen any of these um i guess bad remarks yeah correct remarks about people with disabilities oh yes (laughs) tell us sarah yes um god that was uh, so hard to get out of my my brain (laughs) you're okay you're okay i think it kind of like um how do i say this i think it depends some people can be like outright with it like some people have a really weirdly liberal use of the R word. Um, mm. I'm just oh, going to okay. say it just for context. Okay. Like, but, and it is a clinical. It is used clinically anyway. So I'm like, oh, like that thing's retarded, and this is like this, and I'm just like, I don't. Okay, that's very very lazy. Um, um, and it, it denotes something. And the idea is that it denotes something negative mm. when that like shouldn't be the case. Um, um, I think also, like, um, I've heard that, you know, like, uh, or some people use, it's so weird. I've recently discovered this. Some people use the word autistic to describe things as negative. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Like that, that was so 
bloody autistic. Oh, person. I've seen that. <laughs> I've heard it. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. But I'm like, why would you use Tell any people... other disability to do that? Like, that's so bloody Down syndrome of you. <laughs> like, what? People will be like, oh, if you mess with them, you know, like, why are you being so autistic, man? Like, you know, like. I've heard that at parties. Yeah, I have too. And it just makes, it gives me the biggest eye roll. My thing is that that is so dumb and not creative. Like, get over yourself, <laughs> sweetheart. It's fine. <laughs> You're right, that was very autistic of me. I wonder why. <laughs> like, it's just it's just so silly. But, yeah, it denotes something negative when it isn't. And um, um, and my other, um, what's my other favourite one? I've got a couple favourites. Um, I've got, I've heard that vaccine, vaccines cause autism. That's a, that's a good one. I oh. like to tell people that I was like a failed polio like <laughs> vaccine, you know, it's like, oh guys, my, my parents like got me vaccinated for like HPV. But it's just so stupid. Like, and, and like it that really doctor is. that, that wrote that, that, that doctor that wrote that paper up, like he had his like license, like, like taken away from him, him and everything like that has been debunked over and over again. I'm like, yeah, man, I think I'd rather my kid be protected against HPV than to be like, like, you know, like, like an autism was just like a second thought at that stage. Like, but like, it's not the case. The correlation doesn't mean causation. Um, uh, my other favorite one. Oh, I have a good couple. I'll come up with them as I go guys. Um, yeah. Because I'm just in thought. But, yeah, you're right. I, like, I have heard certain things. I've had people tell me that I don't look autistic. I don't know what that means. Um, oh, my god! Which can also be quite ableist and to some extent infantilization because, like, wow, like, it's, like, so not obvious. She can live just like us. She can integrate just like us. Someone gives Sarah an award. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. She's so normal. And she can look me in the eyes for, like, more than five seconds, um, which I think can be quite, like, uh, like frustrating to hear because it's kind of like I don't understand like is your issue that like would you be more uncomfortable if my brother who looks visibly more disabled objectively speaking like because of his presentation like like does that make you uncomfortable like is that going to be an issue for you like why why would you point that out to my face you know what I mean like I've objectively told you that this is something I go through like just because you don't see me fluffing my hands and stimming the hell out like the hell out of my room doesn't mean do you expect me to start hand flopping i've had doctors tell me that as well and it's kind of like well i don't know what you want me to tell you doctor do you want me to start rolling on the floor like i think they almost expect you to have all these behavioral issues when like that's just not how it is the the cookie cutter picture of someone who has autism i've had my like my dad and i laugh about this all the time but it's kind of true if you're looking to get certain funding and it's kind of a meme within the disability community and if you have an ndis plan you know if you are getting an ndis plan or even doing a housing application or anything like that the idea is that you should worsen your presentation that day (laughs) because if like the social worker i mean i'm becoming a social worker i'm fully aware that people do this it's just a fact of life um, but like if you're getting an NDIS plan and you tell them everything's all dandy and good and things have been going well, that's half your funding slash babe. Like you're not going to get know. the same services you were entitled to before. So you up the ante a little bit. So I've like started randomly flapping during NDIS meetings and stuff because otherwise they genuinely like they look at me like, well, you study like in university and you have a job, like what's the issue? And so I've just like started randomly bawling my eyes out and like things like that. And I'm not saying that like, oh, 
Like, I'm not doing that because, like, oh, I want to take away funding from people who really need it. Like, the reality is people assess you really, really clinically and almost on a deficit-based model because that's the only yeah. way they understand you. So you almost Definitely. have to play to their games almost. I don't think I answered your question there. I did. No, you're okay. Well, that was really good because like, I think it really... Like I've worked with some some clients before just in regards to the whole NDIS plan. Mm. Um where you know we're trying to get them a lot of funding and we're asking you what do you want to do and then like oh you know i'm kind of okay we're like no 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 like do you want to go run do you want to go to like you want to do you pick a hobby like, ideas, choose a hobby yeah, like, yeah. this is going to get your funding up you've got to choose something like you can't just choose nothing like so i really get that whole like battle for funding when, yeah. System is fucked. yeah it's it's also another like i mean for you've done your placements in a hospital so you kind of know what i'm talking about if like the NGIS typically they'll if so, if there's a client in hospital who's like who like their only like uh what you call a barrier to discharge is an NGIS plan like their the NGIS's idea is well they're in hospital they're in safe hands that's now the hospital's problem we mm-hmm. will deal with that when we deal with that and then you have patients who have been in hospital for like a hundred and something days when they're yeah, medically like, clear, for? yeah when they're medically clear to go they're basically holding up a bed which that's not their fault um but what i'm saying is that like like it's not their fault but it's like at the same time like that's their barrier to discharge whereas someone who's normal who's not medically cleared to go and who fully understands the like the consequence if they leave hospital prematurely can be like all right see you later doctor i'm gonna leave um whereas we're gonna hold the disabled person basically hostage in an institution is what that is um and basically institutionalizing them and making their condition worse which is a really really huge problem at the moment that's being looked into another issue is um uh some care homes have actually like if an NGIS participant is basically under the care of the NGIS um they um like care homes have I've I've seen stories where and I've seen it like care homes can basically say well we don't want to take this patient home for they can outline whatever reason or they'll just deliberately delay it keeping that person there when they should be at home in their home environment um so there's like certain things that we understand to be like protecting these vulnerable people but really we're just reinstitutionalizing them again because certain people or organizations don't want to take liability for it um which is a crock of shit, frankly, and it shouldn't happen. And you'd never allow that to happen to a quote-unquote typical person. Why we allow that to happen to one of the most vulnerable groups, like, is just, like, flawed to me. Um, And that's a really, really common issue with the NGIS as well. Um, And I think, um, and I think that actually, like, uh, feeds really well into the idea that, um, you know, a lot of this, this this infant this infantilization that we have mm. um, that that um, disabled that people with disability are actually like put through or they experience has or well, they're really cute oh uh, yeah biggest eye roll yeah <laughs> it's like because there's these ridiculous stigmas that are attached to disability mm. and I think like we've all heard some of them like I think from a religious perspective I mean I've heard the idea that I think Sarah and I were talking about this at one point that like we're possessed by jinns oh <laughs> oh yeah I've heard that once. That, that someone told me that to my face. Yeah, when you were talking about the double edge and things, someone was like, yeah, if you're born with a disability, you're like, you have to look a gin on you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Okay. Well, maybe I should tell this person. No, nah, maybe not. And just for like reference, a gin is like a, so 
basically, um, in Islam, there's like a thing. So just an evil spirit. All right, we'll leave it at that. They're fiery evil spirits. Um, so the equivalent of like the the nun, like you know, being inside Sarah or me because we have disabilities. It's like it's like what's that movie where like there's that girl that's possessed and like there's a priest that's like the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> it's well, like that, but well, Muslim. Like any horror movie, man. That's yeah, like that's true. Man. That's true. But that's like that, but Muslim edition. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, that's another thing. That's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, I've had someone say, like, yeah, so if you're born with something like Down syndrome or autism or whatever, like, or, like, you have, like, a mental illness, like, you're, like, basically a gin because, like, <laughs> God makes everything perfect and because your genetics are, like, messed up, you're not perfect and you're a gin and genes have possessed you. you and I was like, oh, there. yeah. I was like, cool. Do I tell her? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this is the part we start freaking around. Just... <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Yeah. She straight up just said, like, you're meant to be left in the drafts, man. Like, come on. <laughs> and I guess, like, just, like, before we wrap it up, because we are reaching towards the end of the episode, um, from Frikan and Sarah and I, do we know any other ridiculous stigmas or any of the ridiculous stereotypes that exist around disability? I mean, both of you work in the health field, um, and Sarah and I are both um, people who have disabilities, but have we heard any other ridiculous ones? Well, from just from like I guess like a physio point of view, um, I guess like there's this whole idea that people with disabilities can't do like anything. Like sometimes yeah. there's like this idea where it's like, oh you know, the, all these disabled people they need like all the help that they can get. Like you know you've got to make sure that it's like you've got to baby them to do anything, um, anything at all. Whereas like you know there's actually so much that they can do, and you know like a big part of uh, physio is like trying to get them to be independent and like you don't have to almost like it's like almost condescending sometimes people like they see someone that's disabled it's like oh you know, i've got to help them with everything that, that they do it's like no like you only got to talk and like you don't got to talk to them like they're a baby either like this is a grown man woman whatever like you just treat them with respect like how you treat someone else because you know there's nothing different I agree. And it's also like, like people see like someone who's got some intellectual or cognitive impairment and it's like they need to be babied for the rest of their life. And we're like, I don't think they intentionally do it, but it's almost patronizing to that person where it's like, like that person's disabled. They're not stupid. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like that person can tell when they're being treated poorly. Just because they can't speak up and say anything doesn't mean they don't feel it to that person. And you can, and like, like you can even see it in the way that person responds to certain therapists or certain people in their lives as well. Um, and like, and I agree with that 100%. And I think even speaking from like a neurological or quote unquote invisible disability perspective, like a really great show, I recommend it to everybody. I bloody rave about it a lot. Everyone, oh, yeah, to hold me back from it is Love on the Spectrum. The premise it's on Netflix, season one, season two. They're all Australian, um, they're adults who are on the spectrum. Um, and the premise is that these are people that really want to get into dating. And obviously, if you're not good at certain social cues or like picking up on certain things, flirting is the most indirect art form you can think of. Um, and this is something that a lot of people take for granted. But um, it's like this, like, and a lot of documentaries about autism, it's like, it's the worst. Like, like these kids are broken and their families are breaking up. And- <laughs> it's there's no hope for them and i'm not laughing at i know them. but like it's all is doom and gloom like like you almost feel this secondhand guilt watching it for me i'm like god did i put my parents through that but um 
So love on the spectrum, the idea is that they're looking to date. And these are people that live like pretty, like, but nobody's life is perfect, but like it's perfect for them. You know, they have jobs, they have families that really love and care for them. Um, they can do all these great things and people can, but it's just different. And just because it doesn't fit your mode or um, uh, your mold or my mold or anything else, like, fuck that. Like, like, you know, people can live really good lives regardless. And if it looks different, it looks different and that's okay. And like, and that's something really hard when you're like from the, cause I have two perspectives. I have like me and then I have like, I'm like, I've got a loved one with like that type of disability. So it's kind of like, it can be really like hard to imagine what that person's life might look like, especially because like, well, if I'm not always going to be here, what's going to, what's going to happen. But it's also like people can lead really great lives and there are really, really great people in this system that can really look after these people and really take pride in that job. Um, so yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it just, because it looks different doesn't mean it's not valid. You know, I think the other point that I want to like raise is that, um there's definitely a lot of um using like the traits oh I've got OCD I you know oh my god I think I'm borderline or think I'm bipolar or I think I have PTSD I think I'm autistic as like as like traits as like you know you know how you have like that um like hot girl summer kind of thing but it's like everybody's a little autistic that just there's something about that that just burns me down deep down inside it's literally so frustrating it's like do you understand what happens like to like whatever it may be whatever invisible fuck you don't have autism stop telling people that But like I just I find it so infuriating. I think I'm a little OCD. No, Janet, you just like a certain colour. Like relax. (laughs) Yes, sometimes we misunderstand things in conversations that doesn't make you fully fledged autistic. (laughs) It's just (laughs) But I think that's all we have time for today. And I think one last comment from uh, I think both of you, especially because you work in the health field. Um, where do you think, um, how do you think Western Sydney and just I think the general New South Wales health, health system can actually do better for um, assisting and listening, actively listening to people with disability? I'm trying to go for it. I think you can take the floor, buddy. <laughs> All right, because it's a little bit hard because we're on Zoom, so it's like who's going to jump in first. Um, but I think for me, uh, I think like the big thing would be like, okay, just looking at the NDIS itself. And I think we've already touched up, touched on this like previously, but it's so complicated and I understand it's a difficult policy to get right and get straight, but just making it a little bit easier to understand for everyone as, like, as, an, for, as a service provider and as a consumer making it a little bit easier to understand is like where is my funding going and what am I actually putting into each, I guess, category of my funding. Um, I think we'll make it a lot easier for both service providers and people with disabilities to actually access those funds appropriately and like plan out their year. Because like a, a big part of the NDIS plan is like right, you get your funding at the beginning of the year, now let's allocate it for that one year and how are you going to allocate that money? And it's really hard to do if you have no idea like how to do it and I, I understand there are like support workers support coordinators actually can help help with that but I think if they just made the actual NDIS a little bit more easy to understand it'll help a lot I can say a lot of things to this question in the interest of time I won't top two huh top two okay 
Okay, here we go. Um, I think one aspect of the NDIS that I wish could be improved would be like I wish there wasn't such a differentiation between like um, this is a disability versus this is a medical problem and you're going to go to the hospital to deal with that. And often a lot of people are caught in that loop of like, no, this is New South Wales health problem. No, this is an NDIS issue. Um, for example, like, um, like, like there are certain like uh, people who like have developed like certain uh, uh, types of depressions or anxieties because of a complex health issue they've been dealing with for a, on a long-term basis. Mm. But then they want to make, obviously because of funding and legislation and obviously health is like a state issue and then like a NDIS is a federal issue, the idea is that we're going to need to keep those as separate as possible. So I only want to hear about your depression. I couldn't give a shit about <laughs> your like um, physical medical issues. And that's basically how those NDIS meetings are run. How does that work? How can you help so someone? I'll give you an example, like a real life example. So um, there is like a year, like, sorry, how about the time? Oh, we're fine. We can finish up in the next two minutes. Okay, I don't think we'll finish in two minutes. Okay, so uh, I will not further explain that one. <laughs> It'll take too long. That's okay. Um, but, uh, for example, if you're dealing with like a certain type of, let's say, cancer, or there was like a medical issue you've developed later down the track, and now you're suffering basically with depression uh, because you've been palliated and it's and you're wheelchair bound and it's a whole thing there's certain like medical equipment that the NDIS will refuse to fund but then it costs an arm and a leg for you to be able to access that and now that you've lost your job and your family's trying to look after you like you're basically poorer than you ever were before but the NDIS doesn't want to hear about that we just want to know about your depression because that's what you're entitled to that's the disability you're entitled to whereas that medical stuff can be dealt with the hospital system which they can't fund this a lot of that stuff so that that's too much of like a so they're not talking to each other. Like that other. person wouldn't be depressed if they didn't have that medical problem. Right. The idea. Yeah. Okay. But then that's really, really invalidating because you're just saying that I suddenly became depressed yesterday. Like woke up one morning and whoop. Yeah, yeah. Like suddenly I just felt really sad about something. Like, no, 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 man. Like <laughs> I had this horrible cancer that basically like rendered my legs useless and now I need this special wheelchair, but the NGIS is refusing to fund it because it's not linked to my depression. Is that's basically stupid. the idea. Yeah. Um, so that's one aspect I'd change. And the other one I agree uh, is actually I do wish there was more specialised services in general for people who have neurological disabilities, um, certain mental health conditions. I think we have a lot of uh, great generalised supports, but, like, for example, there's a great organisation called uh, Aspect Australia, so Autism Australia. Um, they do a lot of, like, really specific research around, like, uh, autistic people's experiences, specifically in Australia. They have uh, satellite classes. My brother attends one of the satellite classes. Um, they have, like, um, it's so lovely. They've got a really big scholarship program, so a lot of parents can actually have access to those classes because it's really expensive. But um, at the same time, it's, like, those waiting lists to get on a program like that is really, really long, um, especially for a higher-functioning autistic if you're really needing support. Um, I do wish there was more either, like, uh, federal funding or something specific to actually, like, be able to expand those programs and to have, like, more people being able to access it, especially if they live in, like, Western Sydney because I think the closest, like, facility is usually, like, what's south, down south usually. Yeah, um, okay. from memory. Um those are the two main things. And if you are looking for more information, <laughs> no, but if you're looking for more information about, like, I guess, uh, disability or even, well, I'm my special my special interest is around autism. But um, if you're looking to seek, like, 
I guess, do some research or kind of like develop some ideas around it for yourself. Um, there's a great uh, associate psychology professor. Um, his name is Tony Atwood. Uh, some people call him the father of autism. Wouldn't go that far, but he was <laughs> but he was instrumental. So back in the 1970s, autism was considered a schizoaffective disorder. He did a lot of work to actually dispel some of those uh, misconceptions around that um, to have it properly identified as a neurological issue. And he did a lot of work around identifying it in women because that's a really commonly missed thing. Usually they're diagnosed with personality disorders, which means it's missed for years upon years on end until a lot of women find out in their 20s and 30s and sometimes even by the time they have children. Um, and he's doing a lot of great work around autism, sexuality, and like understanding autism and dating even. So check him out. I think he works in Queensland at the moment um, in Griffiths University. Um, there's Aspect Australia. They have a lot of great um, research papers on the, around these issues, um, around like employment and um, uh, social skills and um, uh, access to services in general, um, if you're really interested in that. And one more, it's like an Austism community, AUSTism community. They just have like a social community if you want to talk to people, um, like if you have autism yourself or you're a carer for a person. That's it from me. Lena is giving me the time to <laughs> cutting me off. No, be rude. To those organisations right there. <laughs> Sorry, um, guys. No, no, no. We are so glad that you came on today. I think that was a very insightful uh, discussion. I think it's a great way to celebrate um, and really talk about um, disability given um, what, you know, that it's December, but also just in general because it's such an important topic and it exists within Western Sydney. Um, Sarah is casually sipping her water now. I didn't know you could hear that. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Um, but that's all that's from us today, guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all from that's all from us today, um, guys. Yep. Thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on and um, giving us your knowledge and insight, and we Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. All righty. That's all for today, guys. You know, stay safe, stay fun. Have All a good right, time. Thank you. We'll yeah. see Stay you next funky. time. Yeah. You guys need bye. to stop. Bye. Okay, bye-bye now.